You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Today, we're going to be starting a whole new series. The purpose of this series... The purpose of this series is simply to introduce us to Jesus. In fact, if you were with us last week, Pastor Chris said 2019 is going to be the year where we focus on the question, who is Jesus? Why does he matter? What does he have to offer us? And I know there's at least one of you in this room who's thinking this because you're a smart aleck like me. You're going, who's Jesus? Aren't we a church? Shouldn't we already have an answer to that question? And the answer is, yeah, actually, we, I would imagine every single person in this room has an answer to the question, who is Jesus? I mean, just think about it. how would you describe him? But the interesting thing is, who you ask is going to change the answer, typically. See, there are some of you in this room who are what I will call uterine Lutherans. You were born in the church and have been here ever since, you know, born one day in the hospital, the next day your parents had you in the pew. And for the last 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, you've been coming to church and you've sat through more sermons than I will ever get to give in my lifetime. You've been in more Bible studies than I will ever get to be a part of. You know who Jesus is. You have an understanding of it, and yet at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, I imagine there's at least one of you in this room or watching online who is simply on week two of your New Year's resolution to go to church, (laughs) which means a couple things. Number one, if you made it to week two, you're better than 80% of us, okay? That's really impressive. What are we, day 11 or something? That You made it that far, you beat me, Okay. But it also means your answer of who Jesus is may be less nuanced. And it doesn't really matter where you are on that continuum, whether this is your first day in church or you're a uterine uterine Lutheran, you have an answer about who Jesus is. But the other interesting thing is, while we all have an answer about who Jesus is, the other thing we all have in common is all of us have experienced this. Just when you think you have Jesus figured out, he does something that totally surprises you. None of us fully get who this guy is. None of us fully comprehend what he's capable of. None of us fully understand what it is that he has to offer us. And so for that reason, we're spending 2019 looking at who is Jesus. Now, to do it, and Pastor Chris already referenced this, we're going to be using the Gospel of John. And so this morning, I invite you, open up with me to the Gospel of John. You can do it on the Pew Bibles, using, uh, turning to page 723. You can pull it up on the app, or you can just listen to my beautiful voice as we're going to throw it up on the screen. But I would prefer for you to be able to see, so at least I can reference some things in here, because John's Gospel is pretty cool. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter. As you can see, it's, it's quite long. I'm going to just refer to it. Now, as you're opening to John's gospel, let me just give you some background on what a gospel is. All right? John, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we call the gospels. They are four books that essentially serve as biographies of Jesus' life. They tell us who he is, what he did, why he matters, stuff like that. Okay? Now, what sets John apart is a couple things. First, 
Unlike Mark and Luke, who wrote secondhand, who interviewed people and then wrote their Gospels, Matthew and John are writing based on their own personal experiences with the guy. The other interesting thing about that is, if they're writing personal experiences, you can notice in their Gospels, they share stories where they had intimate encounters with Jesus. We're going to look at one of those today. Another difference between John and the others is if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you go and read John, you're going to notice John is very different. John operates off of an entirely different outline. And the really interesting thing is, beyond the death and resurrection section of John's gospel, John only tells two stories that overlap with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John writes entirely different stuff on the matter. Lastly, one of the other things that I think is of interesting note about John's gospel is unlike Matthew and Mark specifically, who just kind of introduce Jesus with a, a one-sentence summary at the top of their Gospels, they say something like, this is the Gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David, and then they go into their story. John takes an entirely different approach. John spends an entire chapter introducing us to who this Jesus guy is. It's quite fascinating. But the whole purpose of John's Gospel is to answer the question, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus guy? And so the way he does this, first and foremost, if you have John's gospel open, is a little untraditional. He starts by reading us a poem. But it's this beautifully rich poem, if you've ever looked at it before. It begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as that poem continues, it climaxes in verse 14, and he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, that's a, that's a profound statement. But he doesn't stop there. As I said, he then will spend the rest of the chapter continuing to introduce us to Jesus by using a, a plethora of these really rich theological terms. We're going to look at some of that today. But the really interesting thing, again, as I, if we open John's gospel, is John doesn't immediately introduce us to Jesus. John instead introduces us to another strange character, a guy also named John. Different guy. We call this John, John the Baptist. Now, I say John is a strange guy because he is. If you've ever read any of the other gospel accounts about this guy, John apparently lived out in the wilderness. He ate giant grasshoppers dipped in honey. He wore camel fur, which is as popular today as it was in John's day. <laughs> and the other thing that John did that made him super weird is he did something that nobody in history had ever thought to do before. He dunked people underwater as a way of symbolically cleansing them of their sins. John is the first guy in recorded history to baptize other people. Other people up until this point had baptized themselves. They would enter into the water as a way of symbolically cleaning themselves. But John is the first person in recorded history to ever do it. It's quite interesting. So this weird guy is out in the middle of nowhere preaching and tons of people are coming to him and he's just dipping them under the water. Well, the religious leaders didn't know what to do with this. So they sent some guys to investigate and notice the very first words out of their mouth. Who are you? And this introduction will eventually lead us into Jesus. And so I invite you, open up with me to John chapter 1, starting in verse 
19. As I said, we will throw it on the screen for you. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. John did not fail to confess, but confess freely. Yeah, I'm not the guy. I'm not the Messiah. See, John makes it clear from the very beginning, I'm really not the guy you're looking for. That's somebody else. But the religious leaders, they weren't content with that answer, so they kept pressing him. And they go, then, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet? Are you the guy Moses spoke about? Like the one that's supposed to come, like Moses? Yeah, nope, wrong again. Nope, not that guy either. Finally, they said, then, then, then who are you? Please give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, John goes, now that, that's a good question. So he uses the words of Isaiah the prophet, and he says this, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John says, I'm, I'm not the guy. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not some great prophet. I'm just the guy who comes before the guy. If you're still confused, that's okay. The religious leaders were too. They didn't fully get it. So John tries again, verse 26, to explain things to them. John says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. I am not worthy to untie. He goes, guys, I, I know you don't get it. I know you still struggle to figure out who I am, but you need to say, I'm not the guy. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not some Messiah figure. I'm not that impressive. In fact, my job, I'm just the guy who comes before the guy. See, when the guy comes, he's so great. In fact, I'm not even worthy to touch the guy's feet. I'm not that guy. Now, at this point, the whole narrative shifts. Because true to form, John the Baptist is the one who's going to point us to Jesus. And as John pivots and points us to Jesus, John is going to trigger a series of titles trying to articulate who Jesus is. And these titles are just rich in theology. So verse 29, John says this, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Try and say that ten times fast. <laughs> I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. That's the guy. And he goes, let me prove it to you. Let me tell you how I know that's the guy. John gave this testimony, verse 32. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And John goes, I saw it. I saw it, and I tell you straight out, this is the guy. This is God's chosen one. To prove his point, John reflects on what Pastor Chris preached last week. See, apparently weeks before this, 
Apparently, weeks before any of this happened, John had another encounter with Jesus, where Jesus came to the waters and asked John to baptize him. And when he got to the waters and asked John to baptize him, Jesus was like, no, or John was like, no, you, you baptize me. I don't baptize you. And they had this like awkward conversation. Eventually, John agrees to baptize Jesus. And when he does, something crazy happens. John goes, takes Jesus, puts him under the water, and when he comes up, we're told the heavens ripped apart, whatever that means. And then the Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove, as you heard John say, somehow descended from heaven and landed on Jesus, stayed there. And then something even more epic, I think, happened. God spoke from heaven for everybody to hear and said, this is my son. This is crazy. Well, apparently after that, as the other Gospels tell us, Jesus was swept off into the wilderness where he was just kind of left all alone. And so it's been weeks since John has seen Jesus. And John has been telling everybody about him. And eventually he finally sees him and goes, that's the guy. This is the one I've been talking about. That's the Lamb of God. That's the chosen one. And these titles... As I said, these trigger a whole series of titles that will eventually flow out in this chapter. See, after John points to Jesus and goes, that's the guy, two of his disciples take off after him. Two of his disciples take off after Jesus. And they come up with a new title. They go, Rabbi. They call Jesus Rabbi. Rabbi is just the Jewish word for teacher, which isn't a huge title, but it does have a richness to it. But then after those guys encounter Jesus, one of them goes and grabs their brother, a guy named Simon, who Jesus nicknames Peter. And as he's trying to explain who Jesus is, he describes Jesus as the Messiah. Then another one who comes across his friend and tries to again explain to his friend who Jesus is goes, this is the one Moses wrote about in the law. I I saw that guy. And then that friend, after insulting Jesus, which is a really funny story if you haven't read it, He finds out that Jesus is from this like backwater town that nobody ever comes out of, nobody important you would ever think comes up. He goes, Nazareth, has anybody good ever come out of Nazareth? So that guy goes and encounters Jesus, and when he meets Jesus, he goes, you're not just some great teacher. You're the guy. You you are the son of God. You, You are the king. Now, I just want you to look at these titles. Because these are some impressive titles. If you heard somebody talk about this, you would naturally be sucked into the story. But the truth is, you and I, we have to admit, we don't even know what the fullness of these titles is really all about. See, these titles come out of the Old Testament, and we're just not nearly as familiar with the Old Testament as the Jews of John and Jesus' day were. See, when John wrote this gospel, he intended that when people would pick up his gospel and they would read these lofty titles by the end of chapter 1, they're naturally hooked into the story. They're just dying to know, who is this guy? What is he like? I want to know. I want to meet him. I mean, these are some impressive titles. Is this really the king? Is this really the Messiah? Is this really the Lamb of God? What does that mean? And so John has you hooked. But the other thing you need to realize in this chapter is John isn't in the business of just giving us a theological treatise. I mean, you could make that argument if you just stopped at verse 18. See, in verse 18, I mean, it's just that poem, that prologue, and that's kind of just heavy theology. And if you just knew that these titles were in there, you could go, yeah, that's also heavy theology. 
But John's entire purpose in writing this gospel was for us to encounter Jesus ourselves. He wants to introduce us to the guy he knows. And so in addition to giving us this high theology, he also gives us some personal stories. He tells us the stories of how a number of people encounter Jesus. Now, I want to back it up for just one second, please, on that slide. Thank you. One of the things that he wants to do as he's kind of revealing who Jesus is, is he wants to share his story. And before we read it, I want you to realize, if you saw this, if somebody told you, this is the guy, there's all this stuff, you would think when you encounter this guy, something epic's going to happen, right? Yeah, it doesn't. See, when we encounter Jesus, it's very ordinary. There's nothing all that special, and yet at the same time, that has a lot to teach us. So let me set the scene for you, because here's what happens. John, the, the gospel writer, along with another guy, Andrew, were two of John the Baptist's disciples. They had heard John the Baptist talk about this Jesus guy for, for you know, months, years, however knows, whoever knows how long. And so when John sees Jesus and goes, that's the guy, they take off after him. And this is that story. Can we throw that up on the screen, please? The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, I'm telling you, there he is, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? Hold on, go back, please. <laughs> Look at the story. Okay, just imagine, you had the, you had the, the epic titles. John's been building to this for 30-something verses. You would think this is going to be so cool. What is the first word that Jesus mouth? What do you want? <laughs> but let me try and add some context to this, okay? Because I think there's even more going on in this story than we even realize. Okay, they were with John for a long time. They heard John talk about this great guy that was going to come, and John finally goes, there he is. But more than that, these were Jews, Andrew and John, they had been raised on the prophecies of the Messiah. They were living in a time of great persecution where they are being conquered by the Romans and literally every day they walk by a Roman soldier that reminds them they are not free. And they long for the day when this hero is going to come and he's going to rescue them. I mean, this is the guy they have waited their entire life to meet. They've been longing for this. This is, like, this is like Jesus Christ superstar to the extreme, okay? I mean, just think about if you're a teenager, that, that you know, person you were longing to meet, that celebrity or athlete or whatever it is, and then they finally get to encounter him. But this is on a whole greater level. And so now I want you to humanize this story. John Point goes, that's the guy. They go, all right, let's go follow him. They don't immediately go, hey, Jesus, wait up. What do you think they're doing? In my opinion, they're probably creeping on him. <laughs> Seems to be kind of what they're doing here, right? Like they're, they're following him maybe 20, 30 feet back. They're like looking at him. And then they're whispering to each other like, hey, is, is that the guy? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe. He's not glowing. Don't important people in the Bible glow. And then, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to. Well, John seemed pretty content on him. Well, yeah, good, good point. John's got it. Well, and as they're sitting here 
creeping on him, mumbling back and forth. At some point, Jesus turns around and makes eye contact with him and speaks to him. And then he goes, what do you want? (laughs) But think about this. They have just encountered their idol is a, you know, American idol. That's kind of where I'm going with it. Not like, oh, statue. They're this person they've been longing to meet their entire life. How do you think this encounter went? There's probably a lot of ums and uhs that followed this, right? Their superhero finally looks them in the eye. They go, ah! <laughs> Look at how they read it. Verse 39, it says this. They say, a rabbi. <laughs> They're stumbling. That is like the most basic of titles. Uh, teacher, sir. And then again, long uhs and ums. Trying to figure out, how do we answer his question? Uh, where are you staying? Where are you hanging out? You going anywhere? I mean, it's, it's this incredibly awkward question, but then Jesus beautifully responds, come and see. Come and see. See what I got. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and then they spent the day with him. It was about four when they started, and they presumably go till the end of the night. I want you to think about this, because this is the whole point of this story, is to introduce us to Jesus. And so for 30-something verses, John has started with this epic title, or this epic poem, followed by epic titles. And then we get this. And what is the very first thing this Lamb of God, this chosen one of God, this Word made flesh says? I guess the better question is, what is the first thing he doesn't say or do? He doesn't bark commands at them. Hey, get yourself together. Fix your skin over here. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even make a bold declaration. I am Jesus. Bow before me. I mean, if I was, I would do that. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. (laughs) He doesn't even confront them on their awkward creeping. Hey, boys, you're kind of weirding me out. Can you stop? What does he do? The very first thing that Jesus does, the thing that John wants to reveal about Jesus more than anything else, he invites them into a relationship. Come and see. And you want to know the beauty of this? It doesn't really matter what they would have said. It doesn't matter at all. When he turns and says, what do you want? They could have said, hey, are you really the guy... John, he he told us you were. Are you really that guy? His answer would have been the same. Come and see. It could have been even more than that. They could have said, hey, Jesus, do you actually have anything you can offer me? Can you you help me with this? Can you fix me? What do you got to teach? His answer would have been the same. Come and see. Hey, Jesus, what are your values? What are your mission statements? What are you about? What makes you tick? Come and see. He says, "This this is... powerful. This is beautiful. Remember, the whole purpose of this gospel, and really this chapter, is simply to introduce us to Jesus. And so, yes, John does that through the poem, and he does that through the titles, but don't miss this. The number one thing Jesus reveals about himself in this passage is that he wants a relationship with us. And this isn't just John's encounter with him. This isn't just John's experience or Andrew's experience. As I told you, they go after encountering Jesus and they go and grab their friends who grab their friends who grab their friends. And it's not that they just say, hey, we met the guy. That's great. 
as you see in the story, they repeat Jesus' invitation. you got to meet this guy. Come and see what he's like. It's not enough to simply have this distant relationship with God where all you understand is these theological abstract ideas. They have to encounter him personally. If John's gospel reveals anything about Jesus, it's that he wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. He's not in the business of barking orders at you. He's not in the business even of correcting their awkward theology. I want you to think about this. All of these people, as they try and explain who Jesus is to their friends, I don't know, did you ever think about this? They actually don't fully understand what they're saying. Not even John the Baptist. Not even John the Baptist, when he looks at Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John could not possibly fathom that three years from that statement, John or Jesus is going to be strung up on a cross. They didn't know he was going to die. They definitely didn't know that three days later he was going to raise from the dead. There is no way they could possibly fathom that the person they are awkwardly creeping on is God in the flesh. They wouldn't have understood that for years. And yet, what is the first thing he does? He doesn't correct their theology. He doesn't go, I know you think I'm the Messiah. Let me explain what you actually mean by that. And blah, 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 blah. No, he does that later on, like two years later. But at this point in the story, all he reveals about himself is, I just want to know you. Come and see what I'm about. Come and see what I got to offer. The Jesus of John's gospel. If John reveals anything, it's this. Jesus isn't in the business of simply dispensing information. And I know this is counter to many of the ways we view the gospel. Jesus isn't simply in the business of telling us who God is, what God is like, telling us how to live, how to pray, how to think, how to, how to, how to. That's not it. Don't get me wrong, that's in there. Jesus teaches on all of those things, But the primary thing we learn about Jesus, and so if you think about who is this guy, this should be the primary thing that comes to mind. He is a person who wants to know you. Intimately, genuinely, authentically, personally, relationally. He wants you to come and see what he is like, and in the midst of that, he wants you to reveal yourself to him as well. So here's what I want today. Just as we continue to reflect on this idea, if this is the Jesus John reveals to us in the scriptures, I just want you to think, is this the Jesus you know? Is this the Jesus you have come to experience? And there's nothing wrong if you haven't. This is just an opportunity for us to kind of be awakened to this idea. But I want you to think about some of these questions. When when you reflect on the idea of Jesus, is this who you think of? When you speak of Jesus, is this who you speak of as a person who wants a relationship with you? Or or when you think about Jesus, is Jesus merely this abstract idea through which you filter life? Does that make sense? Is Jesus this, this set of philosophical constructs that are like a moral system for you to figure out how to engage other people? Jesus is simply about giving you information. It's not about this person who wants to genuinely know you. As I reflected on these questions, here were some of the things that that came to mind for me. 
I thought of the primary ways we engage a relationship with Jesus. There's, there's three, right? I mean, we, we talk about it through reading your Bible, through prayer, and then I'll throw in singing. Those are the primary ways we relate to Jesus. So let me ask you something. When you read your Bible, do you read it more as a textbook or more as a diary? Because we know we read those types of literature very different from each other. When I read a textbook, I approach it to learn something. I'm simply trying to gain information. I'm trying to gain some tidbit of knowledge that I can take, and it might impact the way that I live, but that's really the extent of it. Rather, when you read a diary, you understand it's a means of self-disclosure. It's a way of a person trying to reveal themselves to you, and it's a way of building intimacy with an individual. Well, we call it the Bible, but it calls itself the Word of God. Scripture is God's self-revelation. It is better to understand it as a diary. When you read your Bible, how, how do you engage it then? Are you just looking for that tidbit? Or is it a means of saying, wow, God, you revealed this about yourself. This is who I am. How do I engage that? I don't know. It's something to think about. Another one. When you pray, who do you pray to? Or to the grammar Nazis. To whom do you pray? I ask this question because I... If I'm honest with you, I have caught myself so many times just absent-mindedly singing a song. I'll be sitting right there in the pew, and my mind will be somewhere so far gone, but I'm singing the song beautifully, too, I might add. I, I mean, just, man, it's like, like angels are coming out of my mouth. I, I, I have no problem doing absent-mindedly, or I just sing a song because I like the sound of the song, but I don't actually connect with the lyrics. Whereas when we gather for worship together, part of what we do and why we sing is it's our opportunity to come together and simply express how we feel, to lavish our praise upon Jesus, our King, to acknowledge Him through a different means, to be able to communicate, this is who you are, and we should be directing our thoughts and focus onto Him. Is that how you pray? Or is it, again, just an idea? Last one, when you pray, when you pray, do you approach Jesus with more questions than statements? I mean, think about this. When you approach Jesus, is it simply an opportunity for you to riddle off your list of things that you need him to get done? Your, your God-do list, right? Your honey-do list for God? Hey, I, I need you to fix this, that, the other thing, and while you're at it, don't forget that. Or is prayer a space that you enter into and realize you're actually communicating with God himself? And so as part of communication, there's a give and take. There's a back and forth. There's an ask and response section in the midst of this. Like I get some of this, this is like abstract. You go, I've heard this my entire life. What does that practically look like? That's a good question and a fair one. So here's what I did. Here's how I did it, and this is an exercise. I encourage you, if you're looking to figure out how do I engage Jesus relationally, how do I grow in this, I want to direct you to this verse that's on the screen. This is what I did. I took this question that Jesus asked his disciples, and I chewed on it for a while. I went on on a walk around my neighborhood, and I just asked this question. If Jesus was to show up and text me this question, or call me and ask me this question, and he was to say, John, what do you want from me? What are you looking for? Why are you here at church today? How would you answer him? 
You ever stop and think about that? How would you engage that question? If Jesus just looked you straight in the face and said, what do you want from me? What would you do? Would you approach him with skepticism? You know, I'm just trying to figure out, are you really the guy? I mean, I, I don't really get this. That's a fair question. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you have a great need in your life? Jesus, I'm, I'm really just, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do in my marriage. I, 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 I don't know how to handle this situation at work. Is that, that's fair. Here's what happens when I, I started asking this question as I walked around the block and I did. It started to actually reveal some things about the way I had been engaging Jesus that I wasn't too proud of. I started to realize I was quite selfish in my prayers. I was quite selfish in the way I started to engage Jesus. And so once I kind of realized that, it gave me an opportunity to be like, yeah, I know that's not really what, what this is about. And then it started to do something really cool because it, it shifted me into this space where I was able to really begin to chew on the question, well, what am I really looking for in life? What do I really need? What do I want from the God of the universe? If I could ask one thing, what is it? What do I want from my marriage? What do I want from my kid? What do I want from my job? What do I want from myself? When I started to realize that, it totally shifted the way I started to pray. It shifted the things that I started to engage with. This was a big deal. And that's just it. It was one silly question. What do you want? But it's the beginning of a relationship. And I want you to see this. Jesus is not making a statement. He's asking for an invitation. What do you want? If he was to ask you that question, how would you respond? See, if John's gospel reveals one thing, and I hope you hear this from me today, it's that Jesus is about so much more than just these abstract ideas. Jesus is a person who wants a relationship with you. And the other beauty of this is, just like any of our relationships, you're never going to have the other person completely figured out. In fact, as soon as you think you've got them entirely figured out, that's when you're in the danger zone. It's when you start to box them up and nobody likes to be put into a box. Instead, he wants more from that relationship. And he invites you to come and see what that is like. And so I say to you, whether you're a uterine Lutheran or you're 35 minutes into your relationship with Jesus, come and see what he's got to offer. Come and see what he's like. Bring your burdens, bring your thoughts, bring your struggles, bring your doubts. Come and see how he answers them. Let's pray. Father, we give you honor, glory, and praise. For you are a God who simply did not sit up in heaven and bark down orders at us, but instead you entered into our world. You became flesh and dwelt among us. And even when you came into that, you didn't come and yell at us, but you invited us to know you, to love you. Father, I pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would continue to draw us near to you, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in ways that we couldn't possibly fathom. Lord, that your, your love and grace would become so real to us that they would move far beyond these ideas of who you are that we would be able to know you personally. 
Lord, have your way with us. In Jesus' name.